stay there. You know what? I believe that every single person on this planet can make a difference. And I believe that we all have something to offer, something that's so unique that it will change somebody else's life. I believe we all deserve to step into our true selves. And I believe that every single person needs to feel great about themselves. I want you to step into who you truly are and I want you to make a difference for somebody else and for yourself. And I don't think it's that hard. It's a matter of putting one step in front of the other and just taking action. And I'm interviewing guests that have done just that. I'm Karen Vaughan. This is the Get Off The Bench podcast. And here is where you can make that decision to make your life count. It all starts with you saying yes. And welcome back to another week of the Get Off the Bench podcast. Today, I am chatting with an ex-murder detective um, who is also a cybersecurity consultant and is also a TV celebrity on Channel 10's Hunted. Now, I'm just going to say this. If you think that you're safe online, you might want to think again. And we also talk about toxic masculinity and about having that mask on and when you get to a point where you are either willing or not um, to ask for help and and what you do with it and how do you re-establish your identity after you really don't know who you are anymore. So this is a really fantastic conversation. And so the person I'm talking to is Graham Simfendorfer. Um, we'll just affectionately call him Simf. And this conversation is absolutely fantastic. And he is a genuinely beautiful, big-hearted guy. So I know you're going to absolutely love this. So let's get into it. So welcome, Graham. Or should I? I need to call you Simf, don't I? Simf, I'll answer that a lot more. I think Graham is very boring. You'll get more out of me calling me Simf, I think. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm glad to have you here. You are um, you're just a, a wonderful, wonderful human. And we've, you know, we've already chatted before this and I just think you're just you're really really one hell of a guy so I'm really pleased to to have you on today thanks Karen very kind words I'll pay you later for all that but um <laughs> no thanks we, we we keep just trying to do our best don't we each day absolutely uh, by the way I hope you're earning some good money because it'll cost you a fair bit but anyway <laughs> <laughs> love it I, Oh, shit, I don't want to be done for bribery. All right, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, I guess, you know, you've got, um, well, I won't say a colourful past, but it's a very interesting, fascinating past. You know, it's it's amazing. So let me just run over a few things. So you joined the police mm -hmm. force in 1993. You were part of the homicide squad. You led armed robbery investigation teams. You're part of the sex offence and child abuse units. You've won numerous awards for your work in the, in the police force. You left it after 27 years and established uh, Peregrine Investigations and Consultancy. And you are also a TV celebrity on Channel 10's <laughs> Hunted. So that is a quite a quite a varied um, yeah, resume. But yep. let's go right back. Well, not right back to the start to your childhood, but you know, let's go back to the start of the police force in 27 mm. years ago. Why, why did you join and then why did you leave? Cool. Good questions. Um, why did I join? I, I had a hot, real sense as a young fellow. I was quite young in my um, year group 
you know, leaving year 12, only just uh, hadn't turned 18 type thing. And I always was interested in the police force, just the excitement of, you know, good guys and bad guys and catching the bad guys and, and good uh, reigning at the end of the day um, as a real sense of service, I guess, for, for me. And it has been in my family. So my father was in the fire brigade as a volunteer and most of that fam- that extended family, as in my uncles and that, were all in the fire brigade. Yeah. Uh, my oldest brother was in Queensland Police at the time and it just it was just something that just kept coming back to me uh, of having a go at that, but I was quite young. So a couple of friends of, of my father's gave advice to just go out and um, be part of the community as best you can and, and meet all different parts of the community and that advice was go work in a bank um, wow. where you'll meet the rich and the poor and um, the elderly and the young and everyone in between and big business, small business. And I was living in a town called Wagga Wagga, so agribusiness was huge. Yeah. Um, so I was very lucky enough to, to get a job straight out of school with Westpac and I had a blast. It was great. I was working. I thought I was earning you know, a heap of money that I'd never seen before, uh, having a good time and just enjoying it, and that was the plan for a couple of years. So it just just kept ticking away about the police in the background and I think it was quite a recruiting drive at the time. So I saw some of the ads there on TV and said, well, you know what, um, let's let's do it. Let's make a decision. And I still remember sitting down with my auntie in the lounge room and I was a little bit nervous about telling my parents that I, another son's going to go off and join the police force. Yeah. And uh, her advice was just, you know, just do it. Just they'll support you. And, and, you know, she was very, very accurate. Yeah, they were just like, okay, yep, let's, let's see how it goes. And uh, at the time, I think New South Wales Police had a probably I think a bit of a pause on recruitment at that stage so I'd applied to both Queensland and Victoria Police so one of dad's best mates was inspector with Victoria Police he sold it pretty well so I applied for both um I'd never been to Melbourne so I really didn't know what I was in for and I I thought (laughs) Queensland would be where I'd go my brother was there and and that but uh look if Paul got back to me and and the rest I guess is a little bit of history there but actually funnily I just remember now so Queensland did accept me uh, at a point when I was in the academy. So I had to politely say, well, I'm already about 15 weeks through training in Victoria Police. If this doesn't work out, I'll get kicked out. I'm coming up to Queensland. So <laughs> Queensland probably find themselves lucky now. They didn't end that with me. But uh, no, <laughs> that, that's part of part of that story of, of what it was, just a, a desire from a young age to to do some community service and, and I guess, catch bad guys. And you... And you... Um, you had a, you witnessed an armed robbery as well in the in the bank. Was that was that in your bank or was that in another bank? No, yeah, actually, yeah, that was that was in our bank, uh, Westpac oh. in Wagga back. Um, look, I think I think it was about ninety three, but it was that tipping point for, for me uh, to go. Yes, I want to I want to be on the other side of what just happened, and and I think the police must have known it was going to happen. So they maybe had some information or a tip off that it was going to happen, and we'd become a little bit aware that there could be a problem towards the close of business and, you know, people stormed into the bank. Um, I think it was a couple of guys stormed into the bank and held, held up uh, the teller um, for, for the cash and, and as they exited, it was all a bit so dynamic and so quick and but it really did slow down for me and I obviously learned this through police training how under that high adrenaline download um, yeah. things do slow down and, and it did feel like forever that they were there but it really wasn't that long, I guess. Um yeah. And they exited out the back of the bank with with the with the cash, and um, you could just hear it unfold. There was yelling and screaming, and car tires screeching, and then the the impact of cars colliding. And it was all full on, and and, and that was where I just went. That I want to be doing that. I, I 
that's what I want to be doing. I want to be on the other side of this teller and um, preventing those things from happening. And um, look, no one was hurt, which was great. There's a fair bit of psychological impact, obviously, but, um, you know, the, the cops got the bad guys and off, off they went. But that was the, the key point for me to go, you know what, it hasn't gone away. Um, I had great opportunities in the bank, but I just had to, to chase what I wanted to do and, and apply for Vic Pole and, uh, in Queensland, as I said, and it wasn't too long before I got the acceptance back um, and was, was wow. in as a young fella, 19 or 20, uh, just about 20, wow. I think. Wow. Mm. And, that you know, I think that when we see those kind of traumas, we don't realise how much they play out in our minds. We, we, we kind of, mm. even as a young bloke, you know, you're kind of going, oh, wow, that was that was big and this is going to make me. You don't realise, I don't, I don't think, the average person realizes how much these things keep playing in your mind. You know that they will. That sort of stuff does yep. keep traumatizing. Let me leave then. Um, I did ask you why you left after twenty seven mm. years. Let me let me leave that to a little bit later because I want to yeah. sort of um, unpack the rest of your policing a little bit. So mm-hmm. uh, you you went in and just you know I don't know uh, walk the beat. What do they call it? Did, is it what they yeah call it? <laughs> yeah just general duties uniform patrol I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah, to put it in simple terms, do your apprenticeship um, yeah. and, and learning from the ground up. So work in the van with very senior members. And, and as I said, look, I was a 19, 20-year-old, never been to Melbourne, had to learn about hook turns and the CBD. And <laughs> I'd never really seen a building over two or three storeys high. So to go to the city was was, was great. It was exciting. It was great. And and I had, um, I think my cousin told me, who was in the police as well, he said, you've got a front row seat to life. And yeah. That is so true. I was seeing the worst and the best of people and everything in between from a, from a young age and just wanted to soak up all that experience of working with senior members on the van and, and what happens. And even back in you know, 94, there was you know, quite a significant amount of domestic violence took up mm-hmm. your time, but heroin was very big at that yeah. time. So, you know, there, there's a lot of different uh, events that we had to go to and witness and, and just did the, the beat, as you say, or general duties for probably uh, about five or six years and loved it. Yeah. I remember those days, actually, especially down at Fitz, uh, St Kilda, you know, down there mm. with all the heroin and everything, and it has changed a bit, but now it's a big ice problem and it's, you know, I I, yeah. I, I actually think it's worse now, you know, because ice makes people, well, really bloody crazy. But... Mm. Yeah, you you went. Why did you join then the homicide squad? Like what? What? Mm. Because when I think about the homicide squad, it 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 sends shivers up my spine. Do you know? It's like, mm. and you must you must be a much nicer person than me because <laughs> my 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 thoughts are I just want to kill those freaking bastards. Do you, you know, I, I just want to catch them to kill them. Like like, and which is which is homicide in itself. Do you know what I mean? But but. Yeah. I, but this, um, I, I can't. I, I don't know. I it it's. I don't know how you can see that stuff and and even forgive people to a point where you can go to sleep at night. You know, to to me that mm. would just. And clearly, that's why I'm not a cop. This is why, <laughs> what I do. But but why yeah. did you go to that that scene? Good, good question. Um, I. It took me a while to get to that point that that's what I wanted to do. So initially, my my um. The goal was to join the special operations group or the, the the SWAT, for I guess for lack of a better term, but it was called the SOG, and and that's what I wanted to do. There's a group of us that were training, and we all wanted to do that, um, and just tactically uh, really enjoyed that 
that pressure and being able to work in that environment. But um, look, I trained really hard for that, and then um, my, my daughter was born, and, and I just looked at looked at her one for the first time, and it's when I don't know if I really want to be going out and doing all the stuff that the mm-hmm. SOG do, um, and had to question why why I wanted to do it anymore. I think it was um, more a test of my own abilities to pass that course. So I had to reflect and, and decide, I actually don't think that's what I want to do. And I was always drawn towards investigations and that problem-solving part mm-hmm. of being a detective. Um, yeah. And some things came naturally to me, some didn't. But I had some great mentors and senior people that were, were excellent investigators to learn from. And that gave me an excellent foundation to to build on. And then the absolute pinnacle, obviously, is the Homicide Squad and, and still is and was back then, you know, the... the you had to sort of get a tap on the shoulder or invited to to come in and have a look and have a trial before you were, I guess, selected for lack of a better term. Um, But it it was by choice back then. So, you know, you're almost the top couple of percent of detectives Mm. um, to get there, but it was the pinnacle. So nothing more important than to investigate the death of another human and where I would put all that for myself and my own well-being was I was representing the deceased and the family as to finding answers as to the why and who at times. Yeah. Um, but a real problem solving and, and just working with other like-minded investigators that, that had the same uh, skill sets and beliefs and learning. And I just, I was a sponge. Again, I was pretty young, I guess, to, to go to homicide. Um, I still remember doing the interviews on the phone and, and shitting myself talking to some of the legends mm. of, of yep. the, the Homicide Squad. I think I spoke with Charlie Bazzino, who's who's now quite well known, and, and Charlie um, interviewed me over the phone on a cold call and I was shitting myself. I, I <laughs> thinking this is my one chance, don't blow it. Yeah. And, um, look, I was lucky enough to, to get a spot in there and uh, it, it was the best time of my life. I was going to stay a homicide detective forever as a detective senior constable for a long, long time and just unfortunately didn't work out that way with, with some history, but we'll probably go into that soon. But I guess to answer your question, I, it was the pinnacle of investigations and to test yourself against those serious investigations and how complex they were, mm. but representing the families. And, um, you know, you get a, a real affinity with the family, real connection with the family and that still stays on. And, and so I'm in contact still with, with some to this day um, on the anniversaries of those deaths because, your connection to them and 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 that and actually you just remind a funny story actually it was actually um my wedding day that i actually took um the family of one of the deceased of an investigation i did they they are from fiji and they'd spent their almost their life savings to come out to have a look at where she had passed um and the only time available was that morning so um i did run it past um uh, my wife at the time and said I'm just going to go do this quickly before we we get married and, and we did and it meant so much to the family to go there and I, I knew how much it was for them to be there in that space and, and hold that space for them down there and talk through what happened so they could understand um, you know it's such a, a beautiful family that tragically had their daughter taken from them and something that could have been avoided but that was the point of homicide getting us to the who and the why and getting answers for the family so they can I guess have peace with that Mm, that all makes sense the way you say it, you know, and the, and the calmness that you say it with. And I suppose there's a point, isn't there, where you you need to be able to, I'm not going to say suppress emotions, but sort of package them to a point to say, I can't deal with that right now. Do you, you know, I need to just mm. get this job done. And I think it takes a special person to be able to do that. Like, I, 
Yeah, I'm way too highly emotional to to be able to control myself. You know, you know, and yeah, oh, I, yeah. I put myself in that situation. But it's credit yeah. to you to be able to do that. Yeah, I think I think you're kidding yourself if it doesn't impact you. Um, it, everything does. And look, it was the probably the and we'll get to the, the fast forward point, but it's probably the child stuff that got to me the most in the end. Um, you know, having to to see some of those autopsies and and I had young kids at the time as well and. That, that did affect me, there's no doubt. But I was able to put it in a place where I go, I'm helping here, I'm actually doing the right thing by the family. And if anyone's going to have to see this or experience it, I can absorb it and I'll put it somewhere. And I, and I probably did put it away for a long, long time. Uh, and that's normal to most people to put it away. But I'd never forget how you feel or how you made people feel in those moments. And that's that's the memory that connects for me as to, to how I made the families feel or... Um, even the accused at different points, you know, I, I got the first confession out of a guy that's because I, I told him, I said, I can see on the look on your face, you've got the weight of the world on your shoulders. You just just tell the truth um, mm. because it'll be better for everyone. And, and then he just took a one big deep breath and just went, yep, I killed her. Oh, I God. Like, oh, holy shit. Um, we didn't have admission by that point, so I had to run out and tell the boss. I said, he just confessed to me. Said, quick, let's let's get in there, and you're doing the interview now because you've got that rapport going with mm. that person, and and I could, I could just see it, and I sensed it that the weight of the world was on his shoulders, and he just needed to tell the truth, um, and you know, probably he didn't intend to actually um, kill her, but it did result in her death. So eventually, um, I think pled guilty to manslaughter. But then you've got that kind of person, that kind of killer, do you know who? Um... I don't condone killing in any in any shape or form, mm. but sometimes, you know, I don't know, in the heat of the moment, and I know that's not an excuse, you know, stuff like that, mm. that that a, a normal person who wouldn't normally do that, you know, finds themselves yep. in that situation. And I can see how that you might have some empathy, you know, for that and think, geez, you poor bugger, you know, you it was a shitty situation mm. that you ended up in and now you've you've you're going to jail. But how do you mm. deal with those um, the serial offenders? Didn't you know the serial, even the the mass murderers and that kind of stuff? Like like who actually getting pleasure? Do you know from you know yeah. putting notches in their gun and that sort of don't don't yeah. they don't they stir you up inside? I I, yeah, I, I, I never I, I didn't work on any any serial serial homicide cases um, because they're quite rare but um, you know the, the premeditated planned you know a hit and probably I'm going to take this person out and and that I guess that cognitive plan to kill this person they were they were challenging to investigate because those people had put thought into how they were going to commit mm. that crime whereas the ones that I've just sort of mentioned about you know, they've, they've made some really bad choices and they've fucked mm. up and it's ended mm. up with someone um, you know passing away mm. They weren't overly complex, but you still had to to go through all to go all the boxes to represent the families. The last thing you want to do is have something fall over in the judicial process because of a mistake you've made. That that yeah. would be re-traumatizing everyone. Mm. Um, so that that was easy to put those cases in that space. But when you had the the premeditated, either a hit or a you know a bikey killing, or or someone was actually planning to take out a partner for whatever reason, whether it's financial gain or, or whatever. Um, they're a lot more complex, so they're very challenging. Mm. Um, but working in, in that group of investigators, I just learned so much from so many. And I would go on to different, we'd have crews and I'd go on to different crews to learn from different people 
and try and make myself better. I, I never thought I'd end up as a detective sergeant. Um, it, it just seemed to come in time. But then I've been able to now pass a lot of that on to the next generation of investigators around um, mm. right from the very start, right from that crime scene as to, to thinking way ahead to how this is going to be presented to court. How can we collect all the evidence in the manner that's going to get in? It will be admitted into evidence and a jury can make a, a proper informed decision on and taking your time being patient with it. So um, mm. there is a real skill set to it. And look, I I, I don't miss it so much. Um, I miss the people and, and doing you know, that good work, but probably jumping to your questions that I had to get out. I just I just realised I was tired and I was I was taking a few risks that I probably shouldn't in my own well-being, um, putting myself always into a scene that I knew was going to be traumatic for anyone to deal with. But I had this view that my bucket was pretty full anyway, just fill it and and if it tips over, well, at least it happens to you and not someone else. And, and probably an example, I had, I had people on my team that had young kids mm. and I knew from from the days of homicide of, of going to these child autopsies or, or seeing these young children deceased is extremely traumatic. Mm. Um, and I thought, well, my bucket's full as it is. But I'll go to that job and save the other person who has a child the same age from ever seeing that. Mm. Um, but they'll never have that memory and, and I'd take that on my own shoulders. But that just become more and more and I just, um, a few mates sort of tapped me on the shoulder, like, are you, are you really doing all right? Because I was just too busy looking after my own team and not looking after yourself mm. and uh, realised I, I needed to, to have a break and re, rethink things and probably like a lot of people through COVID, um, had, had a real good think and a real good listen to myself and have some challenging conversations with myself about this isn't actually good for me I need to maybe step out of it all and trying to hang up I guess the risk cape of dealing with everything so you know kicking indoors in the middle of the night chasing armed defenders um, you know sometimes still chasing murderers um, chasing the drug dealers mm. and very violent domestic violence people that did not want to get arrested you know, so you're taking away their liberty you're putting them in jail and they know you're after them so they'll do anything to avoid capture so carrying that risk every night when my head hits the pillow going, we're going to kick a door in at three o'clock and we believe there's a gun on the other side or we believe they're going to defend themselves. Have I done everything right to keep my team safe yeah. and the accused or the offender safe because there's nothing worse? We don't want it to go that bad. Mm. We'll act if we have to, but have I done everything, considered everything? So there'd be a lot of sleepless nights and have we got it right And you know, for, for a couple of seconds really of, of adrenaline to get in that door and make that arrest safely to, to plan that um, was a lot of risk so I think I was done with the risk factor of carrying all that for so long it just just was time and I took some leave and um, the sense of humor came back um, <laughs> my, my kids started to want to be around me again which was a good sign um, but I think that's when I realized it's it's actually probably done I, I thought I'd always be hanging around but you know, there's some political things at play as well. I just went, I think I've done my time here and done my service and time to look at what, what may be next. And I had no real plan. I had no idea. I I just knew that I was I was done. Um So do you yeah. reckon do you reckon though um you, you, your mates tapping you on the shoulder was the catalyst or do you reckon you were you were just like sleep deprivated deprivated to a point where I'm just I can't keep going like like because I, I'm this is I'm thinking this in my mind, um, 
and I don't have the same mind as you, you know, <laughs> probably, you know, I don't know. I, I don't know how you do it. But let's say, you know, you get tapped on the shoulder, then you think you, you, people are nudging, you take a bit of time off, you, you know, oh, mm. I'm not going to sleep. When you finally took that breath and and took the time off and, I'm, for want of a better term, looked yourself in the mirror, didn't, you know, mm. and, and yep. started to unpack those demons and starting started to allow them to come up as they were coming up. What did, what did that do to you? Like, obviously, you, you cannot have lived your police life without having some form of PTSD sitting sitting yeah. there, you know, because... Yeah, correct. Did, did it start to break you? Did it make you stronger? Did it make you lose yourself? Like, what what sort of things started coming up when you, when all these... Yeah, yeah I, think, I think all of that and at different stages, and it was a roller coaster. So... I guess you're 100% right, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror. And I had, had good mates that I respected their opinion that just went, mate, you're not, you're not, what's going on? Because mm-hmm. the small things were, were being made the biggest deal out of. And that was a real sign of the stress and how it was affected. But, but I wasn't dealing with what was actually causing all those reactions. I was just reacting to the, to the then and the now as to why that was pissing me off or, mm-hmm. you know, you know, um, trying to get the best out of everyone and getting frustrated at the little things that really didn't matter. Mm. Um, but until I could take that step back out of that environment and have a good hard look at myself of, well, what is the issue here? What am I actually doing? You are you are getting the shits really easily. You are drinking too much. Um, mm. You know, you try to, um, I guess, drink yourself to a point where, you know, you either don't want to forget or you don't want to remember or not, not sleeping well, but using alcohol to try and sleep instead of actually getting some help with that. So I had some really good mates just give me that harsh, that really that that really pointy harsh. You're not well, mate, um, yeah. and we don't want to see you spiral out of control. And I had to be honest and go, actually, shit, they're right. So uh, courageous enough to actually own it and then go, yep, I need to, to get help here because I've done it on my own for so long. And you just want to protect those around you from it, whether it's your family, your kids, or in your in your partners. But um, I eventually decided that. Oh, I have to do something, otherwise I'm going to end up really not well. Um, and mm-hmm. I've got mates that haven't haven't um, been well, and that's really sad to watch. And I thought, I don't want to do that one for myself, and that was probably the biggest thing. I, I started out saying I want to do it for my kids and be a better better parent, and that's great. But it it took me that roller coaster to, to go. I actually need to do this for myself as well, most importantly. And almost, you know, without getting too too deep in it, fall in love with yourself again and actually yeah. value myself enough to go, I've actually got something worthwhile to give to this next part of my life and not just either drink it away or waste it away with risk taking. So it was a real roller coaster. It was real there's some really good days, some really dark dark days there. But I had good people around me to, to hold me to account to that. Mm. Um, you know, you never get everything right hundred percent, you know, and then hurt people, hurt people, I think as I've sort of mentioned before when we spoke and, and look, there are some people that have been hurt through my my journey and, you know, you, you regret that, but you've got to improve yourself mm-hmm. and not make the same mistakes. So I made a choice to go, you know what, I need to actually make a really big decision here and leave policing because seeing those young kids time and time again in, in the positions they were in deceased was getting too much. So you're right, I, was, I actually went and got help and uh, professional help, and they said, yeah, you've got mild PTSD. Um, but my my doctor agreed with the police's doctor and said, yeah, he's not he's not broken, he's just dumb. So we don't want to break him, so if I stay in that 
that environment and that they had the real potential to be another one of those numbers that had bad PTSD. So I went, you know what, I don't think I have a decision here to make. Um, mm-hmm. I'll take some time off and, and took long service and then I couldn't couldn't make myself couldn't see myself going back because I got back to that great sense of humor. I was actually more present with the kids yeah. rather than just being there physically. I was actually there mentally as opposed to again having all that risk and having all that that trauma there sickling and not dealing with it. So yeah, yeah a lot of I still see um, help every now and again. It's it's you know akin to servicing your car. If you're not going to look after it, um, it's going to run into the ground, and it's no no more. Um, poignant I think than, than our own well-being and our own mental well-being yeah. and I've just found since then yep you know I miss some of the people and I miss some of the challenges of, of solving those puzzles and helping people but I, I now you know just had to turn myself to another direction and put my energy into other things so which you yeah. are, and we will talk about you're you're you're, you're in on hunted <laughs> and you know that's and yeah. and your um or your your own consultancy firm I'm just thinking when you, um, you know, you took that break and you and you you said fell in love with yourself again. Do you, you know, and looking in the mirror and that kind of stuff. Were you were you looking at it going, who is who is Simph? I'll say Simph because you yep. won't know the yeah, great because nice. he doesn't exist. No. Who, yep. who is Simph? You know, like did, yep. did you did you start looking at because I'm I'm into why I'm asking these questions is that um, men in particular. Uh, you know, struggle to struggle with um, admitting mm. mental health issues, admitting that they need help. Um, and I'm thinking about a lot of men that leave, have been in the armed forces, you know, and and yep. particularly particularly Americans. I know I've got quite a few friends that have been in the armed forces, mm-hmm. been to um, the Middle East, and then come and gotten out of it, and then they fo- a lot suicide, you know, and they fall to pieces. Yeah. Well, so you've got this really solid identity, you know, of who I am mm-hmm. and who I show up for and as and everything. Yep. How, how did you, like, was there a toughness, a tough exterior that, you know, I'm fine, I'm I'm a mm-hmm. detective, you know, I'm, I'm this. Did you have to sort of, how did you break that identity down and then did you find that you had no identity? Like what, what were you left looking at, you know, once you started to say, I need help and I'll break this down a bit? Yeah, yeah, um, so much there. I I liken it to putting a mask on. Yeah. Um, big Batman fan, as the kids will tell me, but putting a mask on and going <laughs> to work as the detective and, and the person in charge that people would come to all the time as in, and that was great. I, I really valued that these people trusted me with how they were feeling and what their issues were. Um, and I'd actually check in with some of the partners of, of my team to go, you know, we've had a bad day today. Um, mm. They're going to come home, not not the greatest. So please keep an eye on them. They're going to they're going to come home a bit different. Just give them some space. But this is what's what's taken place. Um, but I wasn't doing that for myself. So mm. it was do as I say, not as I do. And I was I was just spiraling, to be honest. Um, and and the mask was going up more and more, and mm. it was on for longer. It wasn't just putting it on to go to work. It was mm. actually staying on. And I was kidding myself about how I was doing. Uh, and what I was getting, what I was doing, and how I was conducting myself. So, you know, working longer hours, I guess, is the example. I was throwing myself into work, um, not sleeping well, drinking way too much. Um, all the all the real signs of spiraling out of control, yeah. and not getting any help um, with that. Trying to manage it myself. Mm. And if I can say anything about any of this to anyone, is is get help 
it's you can't do it on your own. It, there's a certain point you'll get to where it's just it's it's not going to work anymore, and you need to get some of that professional help. And that's a big thing to for me at my time to go. I need to put my hand and go. I need help. Yeah. And I actually saw some people after me once I went. I need help. They went, oh, okay. Well, you know, like we sort of held you up here, and if you need help, well, maybe I might go as well. And mm-hmm. and look, it was the best decision I ever made. You know, um, there's been some choices I've had to make in life that that you know, I would like to still be in the police if I could have, but it just was my time was done and, yeah. and I need to do it for my own well-being. But you can't do it on your own. You've got to either get help from those around you that you trust or professional help. And, look, I, I sleep so much better, but, you know, 25 years of, I guess, being always ready, hyper-vigilant, ready to go, the phone rings, it's on type thing takes its toll. But, yeah. you know, nicer to be around, I hope, um, mm. uh, nicer to... Uh, live life and really getting so much more out of my days than just throwing myself into, you know, 14, 16, 18 hour days to, to hide from what was really going on. And that was mm. facing up to to that. But the, the biggest struggle I found, and you really touched on it there, is that identity. That was my biggest struggle leaving the police force was, well, I've just been Graham, the, the cop and the detective to my friends growing up through school, to my family, um, you know, to my kids. Yeah, and and to you know different partners along the journey, but you're you're the cop. That's your identity, and people hold that really high in respect. There's no different to the armed forces. Mm. You know, it's a very well respected profession. And as soon as that mask was off, that was you know literally almost that point in the mirror of well, who the fuck am I now? Because mm. I'm not that person anymore. Um, and and it still takes me even now. It's almost two years later when people introduce yourself to someone um people still say oh yeah he's the he's the ex-detective yeah and you know it, i'm sort of like oh shit, what what is it what what am i now who am i now and what am i going to mm. do so um yeah. i still probably haven't got a straight answer as to to that now but i'm more comfortable in saying you know that that was what i did for quite a long time and, I, and i'm really proud of that service and the last little bit was was really tense and i was i was you know um Overcooking things, I guess, but I can't let the last six, twelve months of my career define the whole twenty-seven. It's yeah, yeah. It, it, it is what it is. I can't change that. Um, but I, I absolutely love my time with Big Pole, and the job has changed. There's no doubt. I think a lot, a lot of that coming out recently are how policing is different. And I just decided it wasn't wasn't the direction I was going to go in, and I just couldn't deal with any of that child trauma anymore. So let's mm-hmm. remove that, and. Um, I still enjoy the, the thrill of an investigation and had no plan. I just needed time to, to find myself and like myself again and and yeah. face some of those challenges. And it's not easy. It's a roller coaster. Mm. But I just yeah. had a mindset of, you know, it's okay to have a shit day. Yeah. And, and a really shit day as in I'm closing the doors, I'm turning the phone off. I just don't want to deal with the outside world today. But just for today, give myself permission to just be like that today. But tomorrow we can't do that again. Tomorrow we've got to get up and got to get into it and we've got to, for me, training physically, in physical training each morning, mm. um, go and get all that out, and then then you eat better, and then you're going to sleep better, and things seem, seem to become better um, with that. That was my, um, I guess, answer to dealing with some of that. And, and everyone's different. I've got mates mm. that they do they do motor, motocross riding or mountain biking or hiking or dancing or whatever. What is it that that gets you up and about and feel you know? fills your cup in the right way as opposed to all the trauma that sits there filling up on top. 
because you've got to get let it leak out. Yeah, that's really hard, isn't it? I, you know, it takes a lot of discipline. You're saying, you know, I had to get up and I did my exercise and did that. And if you're mm. feeling, if you if you're depressed or you know you've got yep. trauma sitting there, that that's a really hard thing to do to get up and and create that yep. discipline. You know, and and you know, there's that old there's that saying, just get up and make your bed. You, you know, and, and a lot of people have yep. poo pooed that. I actually love that saying because it just sets yep. the scene and it just gets you doing one thing and then you can do the next, you know, and then you Correct. can do yeah. the next. And this is, I think this is the gap that that some people, some people in this situation that you found yourself in and can go, I have to keep going. I have to do this and it's okay to have mm. today off, but tomorrow I've yep. got to get back up. But there's another type of people that just, Spiral. And this gap in the middle is, mm. I don't know what that is, is do you think that is whether you ask for help, whether you've got good mates, whether you know who you are, whether you're optimistic? Like, I, I know I know you might not have the mm. answer, but I'm, I'm interested in this gap. It's really interesting. Yeah, me too, Karen. I think that's um, a couple of things there. I do the same thing, make my bed every morning, and that was just, and, and when I was not really, really bad. And it was during COVID, so I was pretty lucky that during COVID I was pretty shit house but yeah. everyone was locked down yeah so i wasn't missing i guess in the fact of well where's synth where it was he yeah. not present because we're in covid lockdowns anyway so i was able to have that time and and some some of those days were just really really bad but you yeah. know then at some stage it was like just make your bed as you said my saying is make your bed clear the head yeah and yeah. every time i'm making my bed it comes in my head every morning but it, and i'm thinking as you question these this the middle ground it depends on where people are at and really, and everyone's story is different. So we try and um, put everyone into a certain box to say, well, this is the answer, this is what you need to be doing. Um, my, my submission would be to give yourself permission to, to to do what you need to do to just take that small step forward. It might be one thing a day, as you say. Yeah. And if you can remain remain with that consistency of making your bed or, you know, what I'm just going to, I'm going to, you know, buy myself a coffee or I'm going to go for a walk doesn't have to be huge. doesn't have to be life-changing, just something to, to make that small step forward. And, yeah, yeah it, it could be two steps forward, one step back. That's mm. the reality of it all. Everyone's going to be different and everyone's journey is going to be different. And, and I can only talk about my experience and what, what helped me and what helped me get back on track was getting professional help. Um, mm. And that's confronting for sure, particularly if someone has had his mask on for so long with – you know, you're the homicide detective, you're the armed robbery detective, you've sold all these cases and this is who you are, but you you put your hand up for help. Well, I wouldn't be where I am today without putting my hand up to say, go and get help. Mm. And, and I've got some close friends now that I've encouraged to go and get help. And they're, you know, hopefully on that improvement trail, but you can't just look at one person and go, oh, you know, they're, they're so well, that's what I need to do. Everyone's going to be different in what they need to do for their story, but yeah. they've got to be honest with themselves, I guess, is is my submission it's it's a hard thing to do to be honest with yourself yeah and to look at yourself in the mirror and go give yourself an uppercut you're not doing yourself any favors mm. and nothing's going to change if you don't try and make some of that um yourself and it's hard you can't walk someone to the doctor you can't you can't make someone go and get that um you can just be there for them and and that's what i was lucky i had a few really close friends that you let in um and and had to open up to them and, and some of my stories absolutely shocked them they're like we had mm. no idea like, well, that's what 
us some of us men do and and women you you try and protect your friends and others from what that is because you think you're doing the right thing but actually mm. they want to help they care for you that much they want to help so yeah it's hard isn't it because you've got kind of got had two masks on you know you talk about one mask you know being the tough you know the tough cop do you, you know and and looking after everyone else but you've also got the masculine mask you know so you you sort of got two mm. layers of masks to to move off and when you're talking about your you a couple of your mates or you know lower not, I don't mean lower than you as in you know just humanity but just you, you know you yep. report people reporting to you or whatever you know oh this is Graham and he's he's going to see help seek help you know well maybe mm. I too and and in in fact you know And I've said this to numerous people on the podcast, and I don't believe this is a stretch. In fact, you you are potentially saving those those lives because a lot of people do spiral till it's the end, you know, and and go that way. And so I think that, you know, any person that you can role model to and then Mm. they take even the slightest bit of encouragement from you or inspiration from you and then they put their hand up. That's that. It really is potentially saving a life, and you, you'll never know. Yeah. You'll never know who who you did save. No, exactly. And I've had a couple of friends since opening up to them to go. Oh, do you actually remember saying this to me? That that changed things for me. And I'm like, actually, I'm really sorry. I don't actually remember saying that, but that is one of my sayings. Mm. And you're right. That that might be something as simple as that to just ignite the the piece that needs to be ignited to help them. Um, I said, and that's what I say. Well, everyone's different, whether it's physical activity or whether it's a, a cognitive connection with someone, or you can identify with someone if someone's watching this and they go, "Oh, look, I actually identify with Cynthia," and you know, shit, I've, I've had some of that myself too. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I maybe I go out and help or, or inbox me and go, "Yeah, I, I, that resonated with me," you know, and just have a conversation with them. It's just right back to when I said before, it's about how you make people feel. People will always yeah. remember how you made them feel. Yeah. yeah, you might not remember the intricacies of what what that conversation was or whatever, but I'll guarantee you they'll remember whether you made them feel like shit or whether you actually made them feel like you cared yeah. enough to listen. And yeah. that can be just that 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 smallest thing can be something that can change it. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, I take that role very seriously now, and obviously having a, a smaller, or well, you know, a D grade celebrity, if you will, from Hunted now, <laughs> that people look at you and, and they go, you know, they think they've got you all figured out. That's the guy on TV. That's this and that. You know, there's there's a story behind that, which I. You know, I get now, and that's what I want to advocate for is is people around. You know, I'm 50 next year, and had this service of community service. It doesn't matter if it's defence or ambos or fireys or or nurses, teachers, every, it's about any profession. Everyone's got their own story, and everyone's got their own battles and journey. And it, you know, it, no one's, you know, everyone goes, "Oh, you're killing it." And they go, "Really? Am I?" Well, we're just trying to do the best we can with with what we've got. Mm. And yeah, you know, I've, I've I've really blinked, and now my kids are. You know, getting into their teens, and my oldest is twenty-one. Yeah, and it's gone in a heartbeat because yeah. now I'm turning fifty, and that's that. Where did the forties go? What what happened there? Yeah. So, you know, time to start um, uh, living living a bit better and living the quality of life that I want, but in between my own years as well. Yeah, and letting go of some of that. Yeah, absolutely. And when you you're talking about um. Well, I've spoken to you before about this, you know, wanting to be a mental health advocate. And I know that you're doing, you know, guess, you're a guest speaker at a lot of places and, you know, boy, if you're listening to this and need a male guest speaker on this topic, please 
consider Sev because I reckon you're just a bloody legend. But you, you know, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not pulling your chain. Yeah. I reckon it's bloody fantastic. But like, where where do you want to go with this journey with um, mental health advocacy and particularly for men? Like, what what if you were looking ten years for the over the next ten years? You know, what what would you yeah. love to see your role be in helping? Well, not just men, but just in, in helping yeah. in this space. Oh, yeah, great question. I'm not sure on the exact pathway where I want to be. I just want to have helped a few people, and and I guess part of that, I guess the reality of what I'm doing now, pardon the part of reality, is um, having a profile where where you are recognised a little bit, not a lot. Um, I mean, I live in a really small country town, so it's no, no one cares too much about what happens on TV. It's actually everyone's really excited, and it's great. But it does our, our social um, identity. It does play a part in when people will listen to you and actually hear what you've got to say. So that's really important and that's serious that that there is a, a somewhat of a platform at the moment yeah. or a window of opportunity for me to, to advocate for not only um, police mental health but all men's health and an all-person's health. So, you know, there, there's a lot of similarities for, for women and there's a lot of, you know, yes, you say the men have this uh, exterior they've got to put up but, you know, Women in policing have had such a great battle over the years to to come into that culture of policing. There's there's trauma there so much as well, and we've seen some of the horrific stories of how they've been treated. So I'm just here to advocate and say I just want to make a difference to, to a couple of people because you know, I've lost a few friends to to death by suicide, and and that's you, you know you get shocked and it's almost you didn't realise they were that bad. But you're right, it can be one conversation, um, can be how you made someone feel or, or a DM or anything, you know, I've messaged a lot of people now that I can actually, because I can almost see it in the pictures either on social media or in their eyes and go, actually, I don't think they're really that well. Yeah. I don't think they're as well as they're making out and send a message in, and how, how are you going? Or, mm. you know, a few people I've randomly messaged and go, no, we haven't met, but I can see what's going on here and do you need a chat? Here's my number if you need it. Um, and have a chat, wow. um, which you know probably some of them think it's spam, maybe or or something yeah. else, but but it's not. But I generally get a good response back because they go and have a look who is this person. Um, so it's, I take that role very seriously now. And there's a couple of us that are on hunted that are ex service people, military and and the like that take that really seriously about trying to advocate for health. Um, actually, this weekend coming is um, a fundraiser at my gym called the Twenty Four Hours of Heroes. Yeah. And it's 24 hour one one workout every hour for 24 hours to raise money for homeless veterans. And oh, cool. over last year, over $100,000. And wow. we, we're looking at um, killing that um, record. To, we're already at over 140, I think. So the team behind 24 Hours of Heroes is some amazing work. But mm. in answer to your question, I want to dip my toe into to where I can try and have a difference. And if that's guest speaking at things around my journey and, and Someone there might go, you know what, actually, I will go and get help tomorrow. I won't just mm -hmm. talk about it because people say, yeah, I will, I will, I'll do that tomorrow. And it's a cycle, isn't it? It's no, I'm doing a bit better now and then you'll, you'll just find yourself back again. Yeah, and, and don't underestimate that speaking platform either, you know, because, um, you know, I run with my partner, Girls With Hammers, and we do conferences. Mm -hmm. And last year we had a speaker speaking about um, her journey with breast cancer. And it was only because another person was at that conference that they went and checked and they did they did yeah, right. it. 
have breast cancer and uh, yep. the conference, the speaker at the conference saved her life, you know, because yeah, yeah. just because they were there. So I, I think that, you, you know, there's always going to be someone in that room that, that, mm. that needs to hear your your story that's going to resonate with them and it will change their life. And I think that, you know, it, it is good to have that hunted platform, you know, because that way then you've got more opportunities to, you know, speak. Yeah. And and I, I I pray to God that happens because so many men men in particular, but everyone you know needs to hear your voice. And I'm also thinking that here I am like I'm I'm career counselling you, um, <laughs> but I'm, oh, I'm also thinking that when you're talking about police women, you know, there's potentially a really small uh, and it's not small because big but it's but a narrow um, niche there for you you know to be to be supporting uh, those in the police force or in other other kind of special forces that um, mm. f- feel they need to wear that mask, you know, and just have lost lost their sense of who they are, do you know, you know, and, oh, and yeah. nurturing it's, it's, them to look in that mirror. Do you, I, I think can't that, stress enough how much that loss of identity plays a part. Yeah. It's like, well, who, who the fuck am I now? Yeah. I'm not the detective anymore or I'm not in the services anymore. Um, you know who who am I, and that's hard to get through. And I, I, you know, I still struggle with it. To be honest, it's it can be confronting to to who am I. I'm starting to find my way now, but it's it's a, a space now where I'm not completely comfortable with. You know that you're that guy on TV. Um, but it's 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 such a, a positive experience, especially with the kids. I didn't I didn't anticipate how much the you know that the ten to fifteen year old kids were were going to watch Hunted. Yeah, and how they would hold you in that regard. I was coaching my boys soccer, and I'd have kids recognise me. You're that guy <laughs> off that show, and the parents were like, "What show? We don't even know what you're talking about." Um, wow. They're the ones that are good hunters. Um, they could pick it. Um, I was in a completely different state at a pub with a baseball cap on, and someone picked me. And you know, and, and giving them time, as I said, to have a chat about your story and what it's like, and, and they can go away going, "Oh, actually, you're not a bad fellow." Again, everyone thinks they know you and what's going on, and look. On the show, I get quite intense and uh, swear a fair bit. But um, I promised the producers I'd, I'd treat it as it was a real investigation. That's what we all did. Um, that's yeah. why you see what you see there. But um, look, you're right. It's a platform that I, I there's an, there was an opportunity there to use that. And I hope I get some more chances. And, and I do have plans for 2024 to be bigger and better. Yeah. But it's about being vulnerable enough to tell your, your story and the truth behind it. And I can't tell you how many how many deaths of, of men my age that I've been to because from the police point of view, detectives would go to every death to make sure there's nothing suspicious. Yeah. Um. So we'd go to everyone, and and I'd be be going to some of these and go, here's another loss of a life, yeah, just another one. And we've seen the inquiries now into the defence force and the suicide of men and women. Um. It's huge. It is such a big problem. And we've got the gap now in, in the, vet- the veterans in the true sense of those we see from, um, you know, the, the major conflicts years ago in Vietnam. Mm. But our, our younger military these days now, it's a different breed. There's, there's social media. There's news in your face every day. There have been a couple of campaigns, obviously, with Iraq and Afghanistan. We've almost got the two generations now in the services yeah. that are different. You know, and, and I was actually having coffee this morning and saw a group of military, you know, older older men sitting around having a good chat over a cup of coffee and having a good laugh. Well, that's great. But then where does the new generation of defence people go that 
well, you know, I'm in, they might be in their 30s or, or 40s and go, well, how do I um, identify myself now in this conflict and, and, and where I am? So, mm. um, you know, and I've got really close mates that are in, in the military and have served and, and family. Um, my cousin's still in the, the military. So, you know, there's, there's a lot there to be done and so much can be done. I just got to, I guess, find my path on how I can have the best impact. Um, mm. And I've, I'm finding at the moment is being vulnerable enough to tell your own story and what worked for me and what didn't work. And it just took me a lot longer, I think, than normal. I don't, don't consider myself the sharpest tool in the shed, but eventually I just went, you've got to do something here because this is a, a downward spiral that's only going to end up in hurt for so many and potentially, you know, I could have been a statistic myself. It got yeah. that bad that, yeah. you know, you started thinking, well, I just want this to end, this hurt mm. uh, to end. Um, and, and I can't put my finger on exactly what it was. It was time, but it was being honest with myself eventually enough to to go, right, let's go and see someone and pick up the phone. It wasn't easy. I broke down. It was on the phone going, I need help because mm. this isn't good. Um you know, and the support that Big Pole had there was was really good. Mm. So my experience was was a good one in that space. Um, there has been some horror stories, but my experience was good because I think I think because I tapped out early enough that I wasn't trying to point the finger at anyone or yeah. or you know, and that's I don't take that. Um, that's not a comment to have a go at anyone. That was just my version of, of I think what I said before that I wasn't um, I wasn't broken. I was just dumb. Yeah. So let's not break him. And, and I'm I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate now to be able to to still have a, a professional life and maybe another career post policing. Still young enough to do that. Um, yeah. And now to do what I do with Hunted and, and have a voice to to try and make a difference and, and help, even if it helps just a couple of people. Oh, I think it'll help more than a couple of people. I want to talk about Hunted in one second. I just want to say one comment on that. You you talked about being at the soccer, you know, and the young boys are only 10 and, and they recognise mm. you and you were able to have that conversation with them, you know, and, and they're like, oh, wow, you know, there's a backstory to this guy. Uh, it, I actually think it's better. It's great to get to the younger ones, you know, be, and, mm. and to share yep. that sort of vulnerability with them and it, it gives them a, this real vulnerable, humble type role model that says it's okay. It's okay to ask for help. You know, it's okay mm -hmm. because before they get into that tough man syndrome, do you, you know, in as a tough teenager, a tough young bloke, you know, I, I, it's weak to say such yep. it's really good to get get at them at that age and say, you know what, it's not it's not bloody weak to to yep. you know, being a man's not about being tough. Being a man's no. Owning yourself and owning your feelings, and yeah, you know. yeah, owning your feelings, owning your mistakes. You know, I've made mm -hmm. plenty over my time, um, yep. but owning that was something I struggled to do. Like, you know, just I oh, will move on from that. But the same mistakes pop up time and time again. And, and as that soccer coach, you know, I was able to there's um, guys and girls in that team and be able to talk to them. And you know, they got flogged ten nil to to talk to them about. Look, what I really liked is no one gave up. You all helped each other, and, yeah. and role modeling that. To being proud of them, even though they lost ten nil, don't worry about score. It's yeah. you gave your all, you gave your effort, and and look, my you know genetics plays a role. My little fella, it was the eleven, and I can see when he's hurting in his eyes, mm. and his eyes will swell up with some tears, and he'll say, "No, I'm alright, Dad, I'm okay." And I'm like, "Oh God, you poor little thing, you've got your dad's genes. You're trying to put up a mask. You're putting yeah. the mask on." So yeah. my job for him as as his father and also as his mate is to to help him get that mask down quicker than what it took me. You yeah. know, good. Forty-five years for me to 
to really be honest uh, with yourself. Yeah. So if we can make the next generation of our kids a little bit better in that regard, I think they'll be better people for it. They'll have better relationships and they'll have better professional careers and better lives. Oh, and a better world, actually. If we mm, can, yep. my big thing is if we can get people being happy. You know, we won't have all we won't have all the shit that we've got to. Well, no, yep. we'll still have some because we, you know, it's mm. a dual world. We're going to have it, but yep. it will reduce it. Now, tell me about hunted. I want to. Yes. Talk about hunted. Um, yeah. You are the you are my third hunted guest. <laughs> oh, really? Right. Yes, Excellent. I've had I've had um, Jordan Wiley from UK mm-hmm. hunted, yep. and and also Danny Brooke from oh, yes. hunted, and 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 Danny introduced me to you, and so now you you're yep. the third, and I've got to tell you that you are all high quality individuals. You really are. Mm. Um, and I'm not, again, not kissing your butt. You know, you're just mm. really freaking beautiful people, and it, which is which is so nice because you get a lot of people on TV and they they start to get a bit cocky and you know think their shit doesn't stink. You know, I'm on TV mm. and I'm a bloody <laughs> hero, but you guys are just yep. not like that. So, and mm. and so tell us a bit about hunted in case anyone hasn't heard the other the other two, but yep. tell us what it, yep. how it works. Yeah, so hunted. Um... How can I describe it? I've described it before as um, Australia's most wanted meets the amazing race. Yeah, it is. Know, the amazing race. Um, <laughs> so just normal people, not not criminals, just normal everyday people apply to the show um, to go on the run as a fugitive, um, as if they're, they're running from the law or they're running from the powers of the state. And we replicate the powers of the state Um and in this case, we've got a headquarters that is full of, um, you know, we've got a chief who's got some amazing experience throughout many decades in law enforcement and the AFP. Um, there's a, a deputy of operations, uh, which is Reese, and he's ex-SASR uh, member, um, Afghanistan, Iraq, and, you know, wow. 20, nearly 30 years of, of that, performing at that level. Yeah. And then we've got an intel uh, operative as well, which is Ben Owen, Danny's partner Ben from the yeah. UK, and, and you know just a legend in the intel space. And and I actually we do some work now together, which I'll we'll go into later. A whole amazing team of cyber security people. Now they're, they're scary. What they can do and how they do it is incredible. Um, I I just get blown away by by them and their skills. Uh, we had a forensic psychologist, and we've got analysts, and there's myself as a lead investigator trying to steer what paths we do go down and what we don't go down because of my experience. So I'm sort of a bit of that fusion, if you will, of intel and operations. And and what we've got to do in 21 days is catch all the fugitives that go on the run. Um, now, last year, I think there was 18 that that went on the run from us and they had 21 days to avoid capture for a cash prize. If they could make it to an extraction point, they'd win a cash prize. So it was, it was a, a really good game of hide and seek. Um, wow. We did take it seriously. It, it, it is is the real deal. We we weren't interrupted by producers or anything. It was just the clock started. Twenty one days of filming. They didn't stop us, and they just edited you know around it um, to be good television. And mm. yeah, it was it was exactly like the real deal. It did not take us long, or it didn't take me long to fall into that world that I was used to. Mm. Um, but to work alongside some of the, the you know, some of the best I've ever worked with in, in yeah. Ben and Reese and Chief and, and the Intel and the Cyber, they, they, they're the top of the game. I almost felt a bit of an imposter going, I'm just this <laughs> detective here sitting over here and I was, I was looking up to all these other people around the room. But we clicked really well. We, yeah. we, we got together and we, we did so, so well so quickly. I think it surprised some of the people and um, 
look, you know, it's had a great impact and it rated really well. It was a number one show last year and yeah. um, did really well, I think, unexpectedly. Um, and, and I was so nervous when they, they, they put the first episode out. I was shitting myself. I didn't tell too many people. <laughs> so I can only imagine some people that were like looking and watching and going, Jesus, that's simple. What's he doing? Um, but those that know me well and have worked with me, they go, that's, that was exactly him in the real world. Um, yeah. You know, how I manage things and how we did things. And we just want to chase them down. So you can still, those that haven't seen it, get on 10 play, you can download it. You can watch it yeah. on 10 play. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's pretty light entertainment and, and something that we found, um, a, a byproduct, I guess, of the show was that a lot of comments from parents saying they sat down with their kids. So it actually got everyone back together on the couch to watch a TV oh, show. So it wasn't, wasn't something that only parents could watch because it had, you know, yeah. relationships or something a bit, a bit involved. It wasn't a, a true crime thing that kids couldn't watch. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't something so boring the parents didn't want to watch. But it got the families together on the couch and it yeah. opened up the conversation around what would you do? Yeah. Or how would you go on the run? Yeah. And they, they went backwards and forwards from identifying with maybe a fugitive pair that they liked that they wanted to win because they looked like good people or they didn't like them so much they wanted us to catch them uh, and everything <laughs> in between. <laughs> but also, um, just as importantly, uh, the, the online safety messages these days, you mm. know, what actually gets out there that leaves a digital footprint that we can trace. But if we can trace it, um, it's open source. You know, we've got so much coming at us these days with scams and frauds and you name it. It actually opened up a bit of that conversation, particularly with the kids that, you know, around um, their Facebook or their Instagram or, or yeah. um, Snapchat and all the rest of it. Mm. Um, you know, that's a big space in there. So it was actually it was actually able for the parents to have that conversation or open up that window to say, See, we've told you that you can be tracked online. We've told you that that picture will go out there forever and a day. Um, mm. And then seeing it on TV because it's, it's my, even mind-blowing to my own kids. Um, they see it on TV and go, it must be real. Well, yeah. it's a reality TV show and there's a, yeah. uh, it, it is the real deal, but it opens up that conversation around how you're conducting yourself online because it's, if it's there, it's there forever. And, it, and, and all the fugitives don't have any tracking devices on them. This is what is another thing that no. people do. They've got they've got no phones, they've got nothing mm. on them and they can still be tracked down. And I I think yep. that um I, I think that we hear about cybersecurity, you know, and we, we're kind mm. of like, oh, yeah, but, you know, well we we, tr we trust way, 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 way too much, you know, and, and everything that yep. does go out is out there forever and you can't get it back. So with your yeah. um, Peregrine investigations and consulting, is is and I know you do that with um, Danny and Ben, who are mm -hmm. cyber. They're just the, the elite. Is yeah. that what is that what you're doing? Is it cyber security with that with that business? Yeah, yeah. So the investigations parts with um, cyber security. So yeah, we partnered with with Ben and Danny and uh, the OSINT group over. Yeah. Um, they're in Spain and their contacts are in the UK. So it just shows how small world the world really is. I was on yeah. a Zoom with them the other night and I'm here in, in my hometown and yeah. they're over in Europe and, and England um, and their parent companies in the States. So, yeah, it's about um, looking at uh, digital security online or I guess close personal protection that people are used to being physically is actually now moved to the online space. So. Yeah. If there's issues there that, that, that there's, a, there's a leak of a photo or there's a problem with something online or there's hackers that are trying to get in, well, that's where um, myself and Ben and, and the company can come in and help 
Um, mm. We prefer to get into the space of that before there's a problem. So we do a thing called digital vulnerability assessments. We're looking at online as to where those gaps are and where we know the hackers would target to yeah. either get your financial decal, details or steal your identity, which can be huge to yeah. to then defraud other banks across across the globe. And all of a sudden your name's out there as someone that's defrauded a major institution of sometimes hundreds of thousands, if not more. So the risk mm-hmm. is is there and real, but yeah, you're right that that everything does leave it. One of the one of the sayings at Detective Training School is that every contact leaves a trace. Yeah. Now that can be a digital footprint. That can be, as you said, the contestants have their phones taken off them, their laptops taken off them. They can go and purchase more, yeah. but every contact they have, even if they have a conversation with someone in the street, well, that's a contact that. Yeah. We we if we identify that, we'll go and speak to that person. So what did they say? Oh, they borrowed my phone. Oh, yeah. can we have a look at your phone? Then we all of a sudden realise who they've spoken to or what their plan was or we've got CCTV. So every contact leaves a trace and, and that's everyone's life. We, you're coming into contact with people every day, yeah. but it's more so now online as well as to what you're searching. Um, you know, we all know the the um, uh, artificial intelligence there, that's there that's now that, that listens in and all of a sudden your, your phone starts popping up with ads because yeah. of a conversation <laughs> you've had and... We sometimes take the piss out of each other, us group of mates, and we start saying things in front of their phones they probably don't want <laughs> popping up on their ads. Um, but it's it's a reality. The artificial intelligence is there, and, and I've used it in some investigations. Um, you mentioned before the other part of my, my um, company is what I do do work for um, the AFL, Big Country. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and we do – sorry, I've just had a screen notification pop up I'll get rid of. Um and, yeah, well, I do some investigations for the AFL and I've used um, artificial intelligence there in facial recognition of trying to identify some people in the crowd. Yeah. Um, it's there. It's it's ever-evolving. So it's it's great to work with people like Ben and, you know, we've got some people on our that help us that are, you know, masters of cybersecurity straight out of uni and that world's still new to me, but we can problem-solve through things and we, we use the expertise to help uh, the client achieve what we need to, whether that's post an event or, as I said, a, a digital vol digital vulnerability assessment to see where their gaps are. So how can the average person without coming to you, and, and I'm not trying to uh, do you squid or you out mm. of money because you know, <laughs> like, clearly if there's a problem, people need help. Yep. But but just, just as the, the basic, all of us, you know, what, what, what what's one tip that we should be doing to um, just be a little bit more safe online? Uh, really need to start looking at the two-factor um Identification or yeah. authentic authentication yeah. uh, helps the best because if someone's trying to get into your account, whether that's on Facebook or Instagram from a different device, you want to know about it. Yeah. And if that's not you, so it can actually map um, where you are geographically, and it might yeah. might come up and say, "Hey, someone, someone in uh, China or Russia is trying to um, access your Facebook account." You can yeah. go, "Nah, that I know that's not me." But yeah. even with with your bank. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of the banks offer that these days, or they yeah. should. Um, and if you're not with that, then I'd suggest maybe you need to look elsewhere because, you know, my bank themselves will, will have the technology now to go, that's an odd transaction we've never seen from you ever before. Mm. And they, they then contact you to say that. But it's really hard these days to because there's, there's so much people contacting us and like, where did you get my number or how did you deal with this? And is it actually the bank or is it no. not? So yeah. validating all that is hard and... I guess that's that's where we can come in and and provide some of that support to to your devices, um, mm. to laptops and everything, so you're secure. And look, mine's 
uh, quite thorough. So every sort of half hour or so, I'll, I'll have to acknowledge that it's me on this device and it's only my my two devices that are allowed into my accounts. Anything yeah. else other than the laptop or the phone is blocked. Yeah. So it's going to going to be someone attempting to hack and look. You, they they try everything. Um, I guess. Yeah. You know, if you Google yourself, you may be surprised what comes up. Um, yeah, you know, and there's so much there, and, and even even now, look if you if you look in the background here on on this screen, you probably find a lot about me by just what's in the background. Yeah. Um, and that's online, whether that's Facebook, Insta, Snapchat. Um, yeah. There's so much that can be gleaned. Yeah. Uh, out of that social media space that you don't know, and it starts to build your profile as to yeah. who you are and what your interest is, and and that's how they'll get you in. That's how these fraudsters will get you in if they know you're into the gym or you know you're into CrossFit like I am. All of a sudden. There might be a DM in about CrossFit as a, a donation or something and just reels you in and yeah. gets you into something. So, you know, um, we're teaching our kids now and my kids are, are gaming and they're on the, online and, like, if you actually don't physically know that person mm. and then we can't go around to their house and I can meet their parents, you're not talking yeah. to them. Yeah. Simple as that. The, the online child stuff is yep is very real and if, yep. and if parents are thinking that it's, oh, will never happen to them, well, mm. I've heard that from every parent. I've sat in their lounge room going, we had no idea what was going on. And all of a sudden, child images are being sent off, off the net to someone they think is their same age. No. You've, you've got to be invested in what your kids are doing online. Yeah, it is that old saying, isn't it? It'll never happen to me. And we say mm. it here in our house too. You know, don't just, if you don't know them, you can't trust them. Like, and and. and mm. They're going, oh, you just want us to hate people. Well, uh, we don't want you to hate people. Like, that's not mm. the whole thing. It's it's just, for God's sake, be careful what you say. Don't go with people you don't know. Don't talk. Yep. Don't, don't have big in-depth conversations. Don't tell people what they shouldn't know. But, you know, it's oh, they're nice, but they're nice. Mm. Yep. So and, one, and one, a bit of that, that I was gonna say, mentality oh, too. Oh, <laughs> sorry, Graham, we keep talking. Uh, yeah. Go on, you go, you go. Uh, um, Sorry about that. Uh, yeah, look, I, I think um, you know a lot of a lot of the files of child um, or sexting as it is. So you know, sending yeah. um, images of, of themselves, the young girls. Um, so yeah. many think that that all oh, well, I have to because they won't like me if I don't send these yeah. pictures. And it's a, a culture of that generation. Now, well, I have to, or the boys won't like me. Mm. Well, I challenge those boys. Have got to call it out. Yeah. Um, and I've had some really strong conversations with when I was policing around some of these young men that are asking for these pictures and mm. on, they're on sending child pornography mm. and that's a criminal offence. Um, yeah. Just because you've been sent the image yourself, that, that they've sent it to you. They haven't asked you to send it on to anyone. Yeah. And the amount of families and, and the young girls and the parents that are like, you know, this image is now out there and the shame and the embarrassment and the teasing and yeah. the online bullying that comes from that. Yeah. Guess what? Every one of them said didn't think it had happened to me. Yeah. Don't yeah. send them. It, if 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 that's the relationship, if that that relationship is asking for that image, yeah. um, you know, we've got to change that narrative from the men or the mm. boys that are asking for that in the first place. Mm. It's got to stop. I'd I'd be absolutely devastated if that happens in in my house. Um, yeah, but you know, we've got to be invested in what the kids are doing, and we see all the selfies that that come up, but. More so, um, you know, there's probably two aspects there. There are people at the schools asking for this sort of stuff. Then there's the online world where they think they're talking to someone on the other side of the world that has connected with them. But that's what they do. It's grooming. They're grooming uh, them. Yeah, yeah. And you don't so, know. You, you see so many of uh, these online 
anyway, we're going down a hole, but, you know, mm, dating, yeah, dating yeah. services, and, and they have one picture of them and they're not actually yeah. who they are. So there's so much... Oh, this anyway. This is a big bloody yep. minefield, and it's, um, <laughs> that's that's another podcast. <laughs> I know it's a bloody ten podcasts, sorry. Yeah. Um, but I, I digress. Sorry, but that's um, I'll probably jump back. So I, I I got into hunted. So a friend I did some work with years and years and years ago, um, uh, Richard, and um, he he actually recommended me to the producers of Hunted, and was I talking to him about getting out and what I was going to do, and no idea what I'm going to do next, and. Yeah, he put me onto them, and I said no at first the first few times. Um, I'd initially thought I was going to do there's a referee, a proper referee between the contestants and the headquarters and, and the yeah. ground hunters to make sure it's fair because there's a there's a cash prize up for grabs, and let alone all the legal requirements. Um, but there's a game, and there's a referee, and, and I thought I was going to do the referee's role. I was just out of law enforcement and, and knew all the contemporary laws and methodology and everything, and that's where I thought I sat. And then um, I mean, Nat, um, the cat actor, the producer, and a couple of others said, I'll just, just do an audition for, for an on-camera role. Would you see them? Oh, roll of the eyes and, you know, what, whatever. And we had a chat. And, um, and then I spoke to some close friends that they offered me that position as a lead investigator. And uh, initially it was like, oh, you know, this is really putting yourself out there. I wanted to sort of drift off into the semi-retirement phase and, just enjoy my life, but I thought, you know what, this things happen for a reason, and there's an opportunity. And what would I tell my kids if they were given this opportunity? Yeah, it would be go for it. Um, you know, put yourself out there and take a risk. And I've met, even if we don't go around again, I've met some amazing people through it. And and everyone I've met through the TV world has been amazing. Um, yeah. you know, we've been to a few events and different you know, functions at the races and different thing in, in, in that TV industry. Yeah. And we still, as a field, we still sit there as the hunted group that's sitting there going, oh, that's that person over there from TV. That's that person. And then they're coming up to us saying, we loved your show. It was great. And it's, yeah. everyone's really kind. So I'm a bit surprised. I thought I was going to be, you know, all the tosses in this industry. But no, actually, they're, everyone's genuinely caring for, for everyone and, and now having an understanding of what makes TV tick. Um, they work so hard behind the scenes. I get it now when people thank producers and cameramen and the makeups and the mic people and yeah. and everyone. There's so much that goes on behind the scene, and we were just lucky enough to go on there and you know chase pretend bad guys. And look, it's 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 short and sharp. We found it was nine episodes, so it wasn't something that went on and on and on. Uh, you know, people, a few people I watched that I tell it's on ten play now. Those go and binge watch. It is only nine episodes, and um, look, it, it gets you in, and and it's and it's great television because it's real cat and mouse stuff and what would you do and how would you do it all? Or you get frustrated and go, what would you do that for? But the contestants or the fugitives are under so much pressure. Like they think we are everywhere and are just around every corner and sometimes we are and sometimes we're not. Um, so it builds their stress level and, and they're making decisions they probably wouldn't normally make because they're hungry, they're tired, they're paranoid um, and gives them an insight to, to what it's like to be on the run as well. So you know, our job is we've just got to pick where the mistake is going to be or pressure enough around them that they will make that mistake. And it's good money, 100 grand if you actually get through, I think it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, 100 grand first yeah. prize. So, um, yeah, I'm not going to give away the fun. People have to get on and download um, 10 play and watch it. Absolutely <laughs> love it, mm. love it. Well, Graham, Sam, I have absolutely loved this conversation. You are just, you really are a great bloke and really glad that we've crossed paths and you just. Likewise. Just, 
Yeah, thank you so much. And I can't wait to, you know, watch and support in any way your journey, you know, in, into the future with anything you're speaking, your mental health advocacy, you know, whatever you do, because um, you've got such a great message and such a great, um, it's a real real genuineness about delivering that, you know, with, with real yeah. authenticity and empathy. And I think that it's it needs to be out there and it needs to be more of that, you know, and we might save a few more lives by that being out there. So, um, Thanks, Karen. Very kind. But, yeah, look, if people out there, they can either follow me on Insta on Simplificial um, or DM me if, if you're struggling or you just want someone to reach out to or if you've got some feedback for me, I'm open to feedback. Um, yeah, just just follow us at Simplificial on Insta, and that'd be great. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah, I was well, I was about to say where can people find you, but um, also yep. there's your your website, um, peregrineconsultancy.com.au. So I'll put all that Thank stuff you. in the in the um show notes anyway. So I hope people do reach out to you, and I, I hope you get some speaking jobs because um, people need to hear an authentic voice about you know with the with a true story behind it about um vulnerability and accepting yourself and identity and that kind of stuff so yeah so thank you so 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 much for joining me and i can't wait to chat again thank you thanks for having me karen really great i, I love the connection and the friendship now so yeah. i'd speak to you again very soon and thanks for everyone listening thank you okay see ya see ya Oh, guys, what a conversation. Now, I'll tell you what, what a um, what a background Graham has got or Sam. It's fascinating all that he's done and been through. And it's true how people can come out the other side of all of that and spiral out of control, not know who they are, you know, not be willing to take the mask off, not be willing to look in the mirror and ask, who am I? And... I applaud Graham so much for I don't know reaching that point, but also being disciplined enough to 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 believe in himself, to believe that there's a better tomorrow, and believe that he can become better and 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 do good for other people. So I don't know. We went down a lot of rabbit holes, but I think it was so important. And if you're a a guy listening to this, um, you know. Don't be a dick. Take that mask off. Like it's okay to ask for help, and it's not weak, and it's not it's not anything else that should be judged. It's just human, you know. And and I think we we lose too many men because they they're I don't know stuck in this world of well, it's weak if I ask for help, and that's a crock of shit, you know. And I we we've got to get better. We've got to get better at stopping this toxic masculinity and. You know, well, I'm a bloke and I can't say, you know, I'm I'm hurting or I need to cry. It, that's, that's bullshit. You can. And and we need to, you know, you need to find some mates and find some help and speak up. So if you're you're suffering in some way, you know, and, and Graham said you can reach out to him, you know, do it. If you if you can't find other help, do it, reach out to him. And that goes for women too. You know, we've we've got to get much better at, at stopping this bullshit and starting to wear our hearts on our sleeves a little bit more and, you know, being vulnerable and humble and asking for help. So I really hope you enjoyed that and got a lot out of it and connected, really connected with what Simph was saying. And um, please reach out, please follow him, um, watch Hunted, you know, enjoy the thrill of that. And um, um, that's it for now. So I will see you next week. Thanks for joining me again. See ya.
Thanks for joining me. As always, I hope this episode inspired you. If you know somebody who's taken courageous action to create something that's making a difference for other people, let me know about it. Go to my website, karenvaughan.com. Tinker around there, have a bit of a look and send me a message. I can't wait to hear from you. And remember, you're worth it. Your unique talents and gifts need to be out in this world. And I'm so passionate about inspiring you to achieve that. So you've listened to this episode. Just say yes, make the decision and put one foot in front of the other. See you next week.